0: Welcome to episode 193 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse.
1: And I'm Tony. And we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. For you. There's nothing in this world I do.
0: Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Here we go. 193, another excellent episode on the way.
1: Uh, I hope so, because you just set us up for failure if we, <laughs> if we tank this
0: one. Listen, I'm coming in hot. We only produce amazing episodes, and that's because, and I can't emphasize this enough, as our listeners know, there is zero planning that goes into this, except with respect to like the topic, and in this case, book club, so we are reading the chapter in advance. We actually oh, haven't read wait. this chapter.
1: You were, we were supposed to read the chapter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm having flashbacks well to seminary now, where you walk in, and it's like, oh... I was supposed to read this before the class.
0: (laughs) I love Anytime we try to like perpetuate drama again. And I I mean this with full sense of love and support of our British brothers and sisters. (laughs) I feel like we always make it sound like a weird British drama. Like, oh, Uh, oh, I'm, I didn't, ah, hmm. I'm supposed to read like, as if like, that's like the high end of all drama that can happen (laughs) in a situation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's basically like that. Well, let's get into some real drama then. How about affirmations and denials?
1: Sure. Why don't you go first with some affirmation?
0: Okay. So here's a totally weird affirmation. I'm trying to like mix it up a little bit because I know that people listen to us. And I think did we decide that there's like five genus or species of like different types of affirmations. So I'm like, I'm all over the place now. I'm trying to like bring something that nobody will expect. So here's maybe something that nobody would expect that I would affirm. And that is, I'm affirming King Arthur Flower... But in a very particular nuanced way. So King Arthur flour is just a manufacturer of flour and baking materials. Actually, they have an outlet or store nearby where you live. That's true. And they're kind of like high-end, kind of fancy baking. But get rid of all that stuff. Here's what I'm affirming. They have a baker's hotline. Have you ever used this before?
1: I have not, but I feel like I should.
0: Yeah. So this is like kind of semi-famous depending on what circles you run. So they have this number and it's not their customer service number. They have a customer service number. This is like, if like your cookies aren't working out properly or your bread isn't rising, or honestly, if you just have like any question about baking, even if you're not using their materials, you can call this number. And this is legit because it's open Monday to Friday for 12 hours, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And then Saturday and Sunday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So this is like legit. They've invested in this. And I've called this before to get help with stuff, and they're actually super kind (laughs) and really amazing. Like, they're really helpful. And I'm bringing it up now because I just read an interesting article that reminded me of this hotline because they were saying that a lot of people have called this and started out by asking some kind of baking question. And then what's happened is the person on the other end of the hotline has basically started to provide counseling for the baker because (laughs) of everything that's going on in this pandemic world. That's funny. So I love this. So I'm going to affirm King Arthur flour. They have lots of great ingredients. And in fact, if you have to avoid the gluten, like I do for the most part, they have lots of great gluten-free recipes, but this baker's hotline number is like the most amazing thing. So if you are a baker, I'd recommend that you use this, use their stuff, and then you can really honestly just call them and ask any question. Like from everything from like pH to like how do I temper something? How do I all this stuff is they'll happy to answer. They're actually like super kind. It's almost like all customer service should be like this. That's it, it's funny. that weird. So yeah, I'm affirming the Baker's hotline from King Arthur Flower.
1: I don't have any like witty, snarky follow up to that. That just sounds awesome.
0: Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, I almost want to quote it, but like we're not sponsored by them, although we should be like, I feel like we end up always affirming really great things. I mean, again, we affirm really great things. That's That's basically what, that's basically what we do. (laughs) So I wish that like everybody would just, you know, come and, you know, support us because of the things that we affirm, but maybe, maybe someday, but you guys like, so here's the thing. I feel like baking is like really in vogue now. And also I know that apparently like sourdough bread in particular. Yeah. It's is like the really jam popular. Yeah, is the jam, and apparently, it's not easy to make. I'm not a huge baker again. I have used them before, and it's kind of one of those things where if you call, you'll feel a little bit timid, like, Hey, I'm just I, I know this is weird, but apparently, I can call and ask you questions. And they're like, Yeah, what's going on? Like, how <laughs> what's, your, what's your oven temp? What kind of flour are you using? Did you sift? What like, altitude all this stuff? Are it just, you at? So, you can look like a hero, like if you want to make something amazing, like surprise your spouse or whatever, just. Look this up. If you go to Google and type Baker's Hotline, King Arthur Flower, it'll come right up. So with that said, what are you affirming?
1: So my affirmation is nice and simple. We're getting back a little bit to uh, the roots of reformed two white guys chatting about theology podcasting. <laughs> okay. And I'm affirming a beer called Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. Oh so I, yeah. I don't I don't actually know the specific brand. I think it's just it's just the name of the beer. I don't know what brewery it is, but it's delicious, and it's just like it sounds. They brew the beer, and then they let the beer sit in bur- like old bourbon barrels, so it sucks all of the bourbon out of the wood, and like you get this nice, rich, kind of boozy taste, which doesn't sound like it would taste really good, but it is really good. So Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale, they have a bunch of different kinds of, like, Barrel ales that are different, like different kinds of distilled liquor. I feel like maybe uh, the guys from Distilling Theology are going to come break my kneecaps because I'm kind of stealing their jam here. But it's <laughs> it's just delicious. It's it's nice and smooth. It's it's not super bitter. If you're one of those people who's tried beer and you're just like, oh, these IPAs are so bitter they make me want to throw up. Try like a nice bourbon barrel because it's it's strong flavored, but it's a lot smoother and it's a lot kind of sweeter. It's a little bit sweeter. So check it out. Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale.
0: So is this the branded Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale? Like you're not describing an ale, but that is the name of it, correct? That's
1: the name of the beer. Yeah. So I believe it might be that the brewery is like called Kentucky Bourbon Barrel or something like that, but there wasn't a distinguishable brewery name on the uh, bottle or the packaging.
0: So I'm actually familiar with this beer. It's by Lexington Brewing and Distilling Company, I believe. And I agree with you. This is like a unique thing. If you are the kind of person that's like, well, how much of a difference does that make? And what is all this talk about how like the wood impacts the taste of something? Oh my word, just go do it. You will be very thankful yeah. that you try it. This It's kind of like a new experience, right? If you've never tasted something that's it's about to get weird. Like it's just been soaked in wood or sat in wood for a really long time. It is like a wonderfully robust and complex flavor and not yeah. to sound like too hipster. This again is just more proof that God is loving toward us and gives us such a robust experience in this lifetime that we can taste amazing things that, and even things that like influence taste that aren't necessarily entirely edible. Like obviously you're not just going to go like bite down on a sap tree Sap tree on like a pine tree, <laughs> but like, this is the kind of thing where it imparts a really unique flavor and it is absolutely delightful. So like, like vanilla, for instance, like, do you get some vanilla in that?
1: A little bit. They have a vanilla cream ale that they also make that next time I'm at the store, I'll probably buy that.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. So I, I'm with you on that. Like anybody who can try something unique with respect to something that's like been aged. That's a really awesome flavor profile. That's like unequaled in this world. There's like nothing like it. You can't be like, oh, it tastes like chicken or it tastes like broccoli. This is like its own thing, and it's it's worth having the experiment. Go have a little fun. Try it.
1: Yeah. So two thoughts. First, you and I have joked about what kind of job it must be to write the descriptions for beer because they're always so like richly, like richly worded. This is the description, uh, from untapped.com. It says aged for up to six weeks in freshly decanted bourbon barrels from some of Kentucky's (laughs) finest distilleries, subtle yet familiar flavors of vanilla and Oak are imparted to this special ale as it rests in, in the charred barrels, pleasantly smooth and robust. It may also serve as an aperitif or after dinner drink. So it's delicious, and the second thing that I just thought of that i I did accidentally the other day on my uh, my uh, podcatcher is if you listen to distilling theology and the part where they taste the they taste the um, whatever they're tasting. And then talk about the flavors. If you slow it down to like half speed, it's a whole different experience. So I'm not going to say anything more. <laughs> just slow it down to like 0. 0.75 or 0. 0.5. And, and just don't do it while you're driving because you're going to laugh so hard that you might crash your car.
0: We could end this episode right now. Yes. And people's lives would be all the better for yes. it. Like I think we've already imparted not only amazing wisdom, but clearly we've improved the quality of people's slacks with these it's affirmations. True. So it's all all over the place. I want to say this, this at least one more thing. And I just looked this up. And what I love about this beer that you're drinking is, so the hops involved, like that, that bittering agent is two things, Fugles and East Kent Goldings. Those are two types of hops. And I know because I purchased these in like their raw form to be used in my own beer making. And here's what's amazing. They both on their own smell like grass clippings, but in the most delightful way possible. Yeah. So, like again, beer is an amazing thing because it's a bunch of ingredients brought together that any reasonable person on their own separating them out should say, I will never touch these things or put them into my mouth. <laughs> and yet all together, they are really this glorious combination. So yeah, I'm I mean, obviously the beer affirmation is not only safe, but Something that you know I'm going to support you on every day, yeah. of the week, and twice on the Lord's Day.
1: This is the other thing that I've never tried, but I've heard people talk about, and I could never quite get my head around how this would work. But the last thing in the des- this description says, pairs with desserts like milk chocolate cream puffs, try it as a float with vanilla or caramel ice cream. So oh, you've never done
0: that before? you never I've never, never had like a beer a stout?
1: float. No, like oh, a stout. Because all I can think of is like, why would you put ice cream with like an IPA? It just sounds like it would be disgusting. No, no. But oh, that, so that now, now that I'm drinking this, though, I can see it. I'm like, okay, now I can get behind yes. how that would happen. So I'll no, have to- No, you're,
0: you're right on.
1: You I'll need have to, to buy p- some, and next time you're in town, we'll we'll have to do some bourbon oh, man. barrel And then froze. we will
0: taste test that ourselves, yes. and we'll do it like distilled theology style. Mm-hmm. And we'll purposely slow down our own speech in the process. <laughs> To make it awesome. You can also yeah. do
1: that same trick of slowing it down to point 0.5, uh, point five uh, with uh, Al Mohler on the
0: briefing, and it's also <laughs> an experience. <laughs> I've never tried that, but just I, for some reason there came some kind of like contrived audio like <laughs> thing into my mind and it's it's already exceptional. See, so here's the thing I love about our conversations. I already have a list of things I'm going to do right after this. That are gonna be, I'm really looking forward to that. it will be super awesome. So speaking of things maybe that are not quite so awesome, I'm going to kick it back to you. We'll go cheek to cheek here, so to speak. You got a denial that you want to share? You love that. I'm going to deny
1: that saying. You love that <laughs> saying and I don't... I don't really understand it. So uh, this is a sort of a weird backdoor denial. So I yesterday purchased an iPhone. Um, this I used to have an iPhone before I went to seminary. So it's been about a decade since I had an iPhone. And I had a little falling out with Steve Jobs. Uh, and so I stopped buying iPhones, but I broke down and bought Fair an enough. iPhone. So I'm not denying iPhones, but what Good. I'm denying is the face recognition software does not function well when you're wearing a mask. So (laughs) whoever at Apple works on this facial recognition software, you got to get on that because these masks are not going anywhere. Like constantly, it's funny, at work what I see is people rather than – so what happens when you hold the iPhone up to your face is it tries to do the facial recognition. And if it can't recognize a face, it defaults to opening up and offering you to use your pin, which it's not very long. It takes a couple extra seconds. I just wait until it does the pin. But what I see people at the hospital do all the time is they pull their mask down so the thing can recognize their face. And I'm like, you're totally just took your mask off at a hospital. So right. I'm denying the facial recognition software. Apple, you got to get on this because like people could be getting coronavirus because your software doesn't work very well. So like get on that.
0: <laughs> I never even thought about that. Yeah. Although again, I'm so excited to welcome you back into the iPhone family. This, this is like for our... Like blood family, it's just so much better because now we're like, we're all in the same system, on the same operating platform. So, like, things like FaceTime, mm-hmm. just like we, we had a lot of fun with that just yesterday.
1: <laughs> both, both Jesse and my other brother in law went out of their way to FaceTime me to tell me how <laughs> excited they were that I got an iPhone. And then our, uh, our brother in law, or our brother Adam, held the phone up to his wife. And showed it to her and she started talking to me and then like she stopped and her mouth literally dropped open when she realized that I was talking on an iPhone. So this is no small deal that I've converted back to using an iPhone. It's a big deal.
0: It's not. I've waited for this day for a long time and in God's sovereign plan in his method of election, I knew it would come. It was just a matter of waiting patiently.
1: I was irresistibly drawn (laughs) and my will was oriented towards an iPhone. So I did what (laughs) I desired to do.
0: Here's what's so good about that denial is that it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away from where I was going to go for my denial. And this is the point where I'll just give everybody who's listening fair warning. If you do not want to hear me mention masks again (laughs) as my denial, you have my full permission to skip ahead 45 minutes. (laughs) that's Just kidding. Uh, it's going to be quick. But I'm coming back at this again in the can't stop, won't stop realm because I still see so many Christians in, do this thing where I think it's just like adventures in missing the point of the mask. Yeah. So I, we, you and I were talking before we started. Here's where I'm at with the mask thing. I think this little simple thing of recognizing that we wear the mask to protect others from our own germs, especially not knowing whether or not we are asymptomatic with this whole COVID thing. That this is the truest expression, the truest like symptom, so to speak, no pun intended, of like total depravity because we have such a hard, myself included, we have such a hard time just doing it because we want to feel like we need to assert our rights or that we have some priority in this sense that we should be able to do what we want. And really, this is like just a small act of love, just a small act of love. So, like, I think everybody who's asking questions about, what does this mean? Does this mean that for other diseases, for other sicknesses, for other behaviors, I need to put others before myself? I think the challenge here is that we ought to be saying, <laughs> yes. But uh, but that's the hard thing, right? You're I'm not, just I'm not asking away that from
1: question. That. Like, like I hear you ask that question and the, my first this this is endemic <laughs> to the issue, right? My first instinct is like, Oh yeah, that's a good question. We really should consider that. But then then like my second instinct is like, wait a second, like that's such a no-brainer answer. Yes. Why, why would we need to talk about it? It's like, it's like yes. if you walked up to a mathematician, you're like, you know, I really have a, I have a really, really important deep question for you. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm listening. And you're like, I just really need to understand, like, does one plus one always equal two? Or like, like, is, are there times where maybe it equals three instead? And like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. I get it. All the rounding errors, you can make it work three. But the point right. is like, it's such a superficial, basic, fundamental issue like, we shouldn't have to have these long discussions about it. I get it. There might be medical reasons, although I think that that's a spurious ex- excuse. Like, the, the all of the studies have shown that there's very little impact in your respiration efficiency to wearing a mask. Like, unless you have actual respiratory disease, in which case you probably should just be staying in the house, like, it, it really doesn't impact your breathing all that much. It feels like it does, but it doesn't actually right. impact your breathing much at all.
0: Right. The- This is the thing for me, and I I am certainly acknowledging that there are legitimate reasons why people might have medical conditions that prohibit the use of the mask. To your point, and might I commend you on excellent use of the word spurious there. (laughs) That was absolutely excellent. I think that is certainly the exception rather than the rule. I think what we're seeing here, and I'm just speaking from my own life, is we have a clenched fist on the inside, and we just want to rebel against anybody telling us that we have to do a certain thing, especially if it makes us uncomfortable in any degree. And yet, again, we say so often, like Christians are so good at throwing up the flag that says, I am loving. God is love. Jesus tells me to love my neighbor. And yet, when it comes to just putting a piece of cloth over our mouth and nose, it's amazing how much we resist that. Like at the core level, like somewhere inside of us, we want to push against everything that's in there and try to assert, or at least just tell people, well, I'll do it, but I have rights here. And this is the whole message of the gospel is give it up, like give up your rights. I'm kind of more preaching to myself. So I'm with it. I'm in the thick of it with everybody. And so that's why I'm going back again to this well of denying against... I think a misunderstanding of the mask. It's not people who come into a situation and say, I'm I'm willing to take the risk. I'm okay with the fact that I'm not going to wear the mask because I might be exposed. That is missing the point. The whole idea is to protect others. And in so loving them, we throw a little cloth over our faces when we're with other people. And I just think like, this is like, let this be the realm of the Christian, right? A Christian should like joyfully be putting on the mask. Even when people say like, oh, no, no, it's okay. We should be like, no, no, listen, listen. I'm doing this because I want to protect others. Yeah. I love the people around me and I'm willing to do that like lovingly. I just think like, man, let this be the mark of Christians, like everybody should be. People should be saying like, you know who wears masks everywhere and they do it without complaining and they do it even when it's hot and they're sweaty, Christians. They're so good. Yeah. At and wearing masks. I'm not
1: sure, but I'm pretty sure they're smiling under those masks. <laughs> I mean, I I love that even more. (laughs) I don't think that it is too much of a stretch to say that if Jesus were doing his sermon on the Mount now, that instead of saying, uh, if someone compels you to carry, uh, carry their gear for one mile go with them a second mile I don't mm. think it's too much of a stretch to apply that and say if someone compels you to wear a mask do so joyfully like mm. like not only should you wear a mask but you should also be willing to be joyful about it and be willing to recognize that like this is a testimony like yes. the point of going at second mile is not to just begrudgingly do something to prove that like you're you're some people interpret that like turn the other cheek some people interpret it like Oh, well, the first strike would be a backhand, which is the way you slap a child. And the second strike would be a forehand, which is the way an equal slaps another person. And therefore, you're actually asserting yourself by turning the other cheek. Now, that's the stupidest thing in the world. Like you, you don't retaliate because there's a higher calling than retaliation and justice. You don't you don't begrudgingly go the first mile. Not only do you joyfully go the first mile, but you voluntarily go the second mile to show that you're different, to show that you don't have this elevated view of your own rights versus serving someone else. And I really think this is like the issue of our age.
0: Yes. It's straight, right? In a weird way. Like it's just, it shouldn't be, it seems like a small thing, but I think you're right on. There is a shift in power here just from the perspective of when you say like, well, the government or the store has forced me to do this. But when you turn that out and say, even if they didn't, but even because they are, I'm going to embrace it in a way that's loving. I choose on my own volition right. in honoring the sixth commandment, in loving God and actually loving my neighbor, that I'm going to change, even though I am compelled to do it by law, or even if I'm not, I'm going to change the whole reason that I do it. Right. I'm going to imbue that with the love of the gospel. And so I think like sometimes all these other questions, like, yeah, maybe they're cerebrally stimulating. Like, should we do this other times? Should we do this with other things? Like it's almost irrelevant right? because the loving thing is just to do it. And it seems like such like a, a demonstrative act right? so that we can, we, we can just do it. So maybe next week the denial will not involve masks, but if we stay on this course... Be prepared to hear more denials about.
1: I, I feel like people masks. should just plan on the next week being a mask denial
0: <laughs> from one or both of us. And again, I want to be clear: I'm not denying against wearing the mask. Nobody pops their head off the pillow in the morning and says, "I can't wait to throw something over my breathing parts." Yeah. But <laughs> you, I, did, did you lose Rose the word mouth? Kind of. And it just got a, it got a little bit away from me. And I was like, thank goodness. Because last time I talked about urination a lot. It's so, true. You did. Yeah. This time I'm glad that I, I'm trying to bring it back. But at the same time, it just seems like this is a wonderfully amazing way to have a really great attitude about something that a lot of people are asserting as a right. Part of that is our culture, like Western American right. culture, this idea of that I need to make sure that people know that I'm choosing to do this. I'm this is like the whole gospel in action. Like, again, my point is, if we can't do this small thing, if we're not willing to be inconvenienced toward love in this really, really tiny way, then can we really be the Christians of the big speak when we're saying things like, yeah, I'm willing to love my my neighbor? Well, it just starts with, have a good attitude, and that's for me. Like have a good attitude when it comes to putting on the mask.
1: Yeah, so. you know, I read I read a really interesting article. I to I want to get the actual article up here, but it was an article on Place for Truth, and it was about Samuel Miller, uh, and it was talking about when he was installed as the second professor uh, of Princeton Seminary, and it, he made the point. So Miller has this interesting biography where he was a preacher, he was a pastor and he got really involved in politics. And then something happened. I don't know if it didn't go his way or if there was some sort of like ministry opportunity he missed, but he was really suddenly kind of confronted with and convicted of the fact that he had put his sort of political activism in front of his uh, calling to be a minister. And what he said is every Christian has the right to be involved in politics. And he, he even said like pastors should exercise their right at, at least in the act of voting. But right. then he said, unless there's a situation where the, even the act of voting may cause may, may somehow com- come in the way of his uh, ministry. And so he's talking about like in a particularly contentious political election sounds like maybe a situation we can resonate with right even <laughs> right in on. that situation he should think carefully about whether going to the voting box is a worthwhile endeavor or if it may possibly hinder his hinder his um ability to minister and, and i thought about that and i was like you know there are so many people in our world that would say like oh no christians should be involved in politics no matter the cost we should make our allegiances known and this is another one of those things where like yeah you know what? I don't like wearing the mask. It's uncomfortable. My, no, I don't care how good your oral oral hygiene is, how well you brush your teeth after a little while of being in that mask. Like you're going to get sick of your own breath. Like I have to wear a mask sometimes eight, nine hours a day when I'm at work and it doesn't matter whether you love what you had for lunch. You don't want to be smelling it for the rest of the afternoon. coming It's funky. It's bad. But like, am I going to complain about that and, and make known the fact that, I would I would really rather be doing something other than preserving the life of my neighbor? Is that what I want to be known for? Like when my, when my coworker who knows someone who got sick and died of coronavirus hears me saying, man, I can't believe how inconvenient it is that I have to wear this mask. My breath smells. I can't believe it. Like it hurts my ears. All these things that are true and legitimate reasons to not yes. want to wear the mask. But what does that say to that person who just lost someone to coronavirus? Or maybe... Right. That person that has a, a pulmonary issue that you don't know about that's thinking, oh man, like if I get sick, I'm going to die, but I still have to put food on the table. So I've got to go out into public. I got to go to work. I, I want to go to church, but this person who's in my church is complaining about it. And every time, every time I see them, their nose is hang- their mask is hanging down below their nose. What if they get it? What if I get sick? What if I die? Like we're, we're literally putting our own desires and preferences or our desire to make a political statement. Even if we're going to comply, we're going to complain about how we comply. Right. Like that is just not the Christian right. way of doing things. It just isn't. So I, I get it. Like I understand. And, and you know, this, this is an interesting hypothetical to talk about. People are asking the question like, well, the flu is a dangerous disease. Maybe we should always wear masks. And it's funny because I hear that and I'm like, well, yeah. Like, okay, like, sure, Sure. that's fine. Like let's wear masks during flu season. Like if it's going to keep us safe, if it's going to keep other people safe, it's a very small inconvenience for me. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I just don't, I just don't get that perspective. I don't understand it.
0: This is actually like a super lovely segue into the episode for today, because what we're talking about is not only is there like a testimony with respect to wearing the mask, I think what we're seeing here, at least as I understand it, is theology in action. And you know, we yeah. speak so much about trying to understand, for instance, the Ten Commandments, and we've spoken at length about how this relates in particular to the Sixth Commandment of not only not killing, but promoting life. And if we can't build this bridge, which Christ establishes for us from doctrine and theology into practical living, then what is the use of all this stuff anyway? Right. And this may seem like a small thing, but if we, again, if we can't manifest it, and display it in small things, then it doesn't matter whether we sit like in our grand ivory towers as like theological captains of the universe and just speak about doctrine in this ephemeral way. And and honestly, as we get into another episode of Reform Preaching by Dr. Beaky, we're talking about chapter 21. Yeah. And the chapter is entitled, Application Starts with the Preacher. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe at the outset, it'd be fair to say that as I read this, my initial thought was, again it certainly is applicable to preachers and it should be leveled against them, but more so and perhaps equally, it should be leveled against every Christian. That application starts with all of us, that we should be applying the things that we learn to understand. And, and again, I think what we're talking about is trying to bring together this idea that the sixth commandment actually says, throw on the mask and be super happy about it, be joyful about it, in the way that you are protecting life, promoting life, and serving God and loving neighbor as yourself. And so, as we get into this chapter— I want to say, and I'm just going to confess up front that I mentioned this before, my understanding of application and preaching has changed dramatically over the last several years, because there was a period of time and maybe I'm not alone in the reform community where I had this sense that, listen, reform preaching, do that on your, in terms of like reform preaching in the application, do the application on your own time. Like I want the exegesis. Like that's what the sermon is for. Like if you can't think through how to apply that, then shame on you. And so just as, uh, Spurgeon was fond of saying, the sermon starts where the application starts. Beeky basically starts this chapter off by saying, you cannot become an experiential preacher by mere head knowledge or book knowledge. And he quotes John Barotas, and He says, the application is not merely an appendage tacked onto the teaching, but it's actually the main thing to be done. That is the goal of preaching. And that really, for me, is like a synopsis from my change of thinking over the last several years. Yeah. Have you experienced this? Like, have you either been in a place where you've thought like there's a priority between application and exegesis, or have you seen this manifested in kind of Just like general reform thought.
1: Uh, I have. And you know, I think to be fair, I think it's a re- it's a, it's a reaction to something that's worthy of le- like legitimate criticism. Right. So, so, so many people, who came into reform theology, right? And I've I've talked about how like my pr- my pathway into reform theology is a little bit, it's a little bit atypical. It's different than most people's. But so many people who came into Reformed thinking and Reformed theology, they came out of kind of this general evangelical milieu where, like, they're used to – you know, they were the, – it was the youth group era, right? Everybody had a youth group. And when you went to youth group, it was all about, like, how not to do drugs, how not to have sex, how not to get involved with the, the wrong crowd, right? And and it was all about that. And the Bible was kind of like this manual, right? Burlap right. to cashmere, like, basic instructions before leaving <laughs> earth, right? Like, like, that was the ethos. <laughs> of-
0: What an amazing reference. I, I can't know. believe you just went there.
1: I've made that reference. This is like the popcorn thing all over again. I've made that <laughs> reference before and you had the exact same reaction.
0: Listen, I love it every time.
1: But like, th- that's the ethos that we, we grew up in as Christians. Like we most of us coming coming to faith in like the late nineties, early two thousands, that was kind of like our world. And so all we got was application and, and application that was undergirded by really, really bad, if any, exegetical- prowess. Like it just, sure. people weren't doing exegesis and then, and then developing application out of that exegesis. They were, they were giving you their application and then kind of like, like slamming, pigeonholing the scripture into support what they have to say. Right. So we come out of that. And so now we're kind of allergic to any idea of application. And what Dr. Beaky we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the book on this kind of the same topic is what Dr. Beaky is getting at is just Exegeting the uh, scripture in terms of like the raw material. Would be like digging up a a raw piece of gold out of the ground and just like setting it on your mantle and never doing anything with it. Like, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's interesting. It has a little bit of value. Like, it teaches us something. But the real, the real value in that raw chunk of gold nugget is when you distill it down and you shape it into something beautiful and you sell it, and and it becomes a treasured prize possession of someone at that point. And that's really what application does, right? Is you're taking the raw material of the scripture, you're digging it up, you're cleaning it off, and then you're. helping the congregation distill it into something useful and distill it into something that they can take with them and that they'll treasure, right? Some of the best sermons that I've ever heard and some of the best sermons that really stick with me are the ones where I went home and I was like, oh my goodness, there's this area of my life that I really need to do something about. I really need to change. And it was because I was convicted by the preaching and the power of the Holy Spirit based on solid exegetical insight shaped into really solid application.
0: Right. Right. That's actually, I think, the mark of exceptional preaching, if you think about it. Well, certainly there is a component to it that we need to have preached to us the full plenary meaning of the text in a way that is authentic and rich and deep and challenging. And that's where I ended most of my understanding of preaching for the longest time. Right. And yet what I've come to understand is it is the special and anointed preacher of God who can take that exegetical prowess and then marry it together with this wonderful sense of application, challenging the congregation, almost giving a starting point. It's as if they do all the work for them and say, here, I'm going to tell you now what you should do with all this. But in some ways they at least prime the pump and say, you need to walk out of here with a conviction that you need to do business with God, understanding how this text fits within your life. And I want to give you an example of how that might be the case. And so some of what Beaky unpacks here, he gives through kind of several different iterations of different I would say, rubrics with which to understand how to bring the application into focus. And this, though, I think, is just as reasonable for to expect from preachers as from all Christians. And he starts with this idea of walking closely with God. And this, for me, like it was just like getting punched in the face because this, I thought, was like so wonderfully connected with, in particular online interaction. Yeah. Because this idea of walking closely with God in the way that you interact with people and how that should be manifest in your commentary and in your comments and your conversation. He quotes Thomas Brooks at one point who says, a preacher's life should be commentary upon his doctrine. It's his practice should be the counterpane that is the counterpart of his sermons. Heavenly doctrine should always be adorned with heavenly life. I thought that like that should just be on like every Christian yeah. Facebook group. Like, is your doctrine a commentary on your life? and vice versa? Because it's easy again to like make this proclamation that I'm a Christian, that I believe in all these things, that God is superintending in his will, and that again, I should love others as myself. But where is our gospel example? It's just so easy to say all these things. And I love that he basically just calls it out. That is a challenge for everybody. It's not yeah. just for the preacher.
1: Yeah, and you know I think it bears saying too in this this section we, we've commented about this throughout this book is that Dr. Beaky's audience, his target, is people who are engaged in in official preaching capacities. Like that's who he's talking right. to. But at the same time, you can kind of think of that as like capital P preaching, like the the office right. of preacher, the office of of teaching elder or or pastor or whatever you want to say. But in the same sense, you could take that uppercase P and make it a lowercase P and the same insights apply to all of us. And so I, I love what you're saying. Like that should be blazoned across the like the, the beginning of any Facebook group, or like that should be like part of the terms of agreement of of Twitter is like you're going to treat people the way you want to be treated. You're gonna, like those kinds of things are just basic Christian doctrine. So I I loved this chapter because as I was reading it, you know, I'm kind of like l- learning how to be a preacher and I'm kind of moving that direction, but at the same time I'm looking at this and there's so much good insight that just as a general Christian, I can I can adopt and adapt. And and on top of that, like all of this stuff has to do with how our witness works, how our testimony works. Yes. Like his, his central kind of idea or one of the central ideas in this is like, if the pastor's not going to apply the, the things he's teaching to himself, then on what grounds does he have to think that anyone else is going to apply it to themselves? Right. Like, it's not as though a pastor can get up, you know, a pastor who, uh, this is kind of a, like a sort of a low handed or a, kind of an underhanded shot. But like a while back, like Rick Warren wrote this book called the Daniel diet, right? And the, the book was all about like weight loss and, and, but like Rick Warren's not a, like, not a healthy dude. Like he's, he's an overweight guy. So, so he's writing this book that's about dieting and weight loss But he clearly has not either that or it didn't or whatever he's proposing didn't work for him. But it's kind of that same idea. Like if you've got a Christian, a pastor who is living in a particular sin and the congregation will find that out, like it's not going to stay hidden for long. Then on what grounds does he expect anybody to take him seriously when he admonishes the congregation to, to, you know, to address that kind of sin in their life? That's not to say that pastors have to be perfect, but but this applies to our life too, right? Like if I'm going to be a person online and I've been this person online and I still often am this person online, I hope that I'm growing in this area. But like there have been times where I've just been downright mean to people online. I've, I've been zealous. And this is, this is about me. Not about uh, about the Reform Pub or any other Facebook group that I 've been a part of, but part of the reason I left the Reform pub, one of our listeners when I, I kind of casually mentioned that asked me about it, is because it wasn 't good for me, not, not in like a selfish sense, like it was it was unhealthy for me to be in there because I was finding myself more focused on winning the point. And winning the argument than I was about pursuing truth and loving my neighbor. And so for me, right. and maybe I'll go back someday, maybe I won't, I don't know. But for me, I had to get out of there because it wasn't fostering this in me. And what grounds do I have to come on this podcast and say, like, you got to be kind to people online. You got to be kind and wear your mask. If I'm not even willing to make a small sacrifice, like leaving a Facebook group, because it's causing me or it's it's orienting me towards not being kind to people. So I think that's a really important insight that we got. We ha- If you take nothing else out of this Uh, out of this chapter, the insight that the application of the text to oneself, whether you're a preacher or whether you're kind of a layperson, average as you go to make disciples kind of Christian, right? The application of the scriptures to oneself has to come before any attempt to apply the scripture to someone else, whether that's an unbeliever or a believer.
0: Yes, that's well said. Here's my fear is that people would hear us speak about this and say like, Yeah, I get this already. I understand that there's a sense where we need to be responsible in our application. and The doctrine should be tightly coupled with the way in which we live our lives. And so why are these guys talking about this for like 30 minutes? The bottom line is we're just not actually really good at taking inventory and stock and actually doing this very thing. It's just so much easier to say, yeah, I'm already there than to take... 10 minutes to be quiet and to pray before the Lord and ask, where are the gaps? Where are the blind spots in which I'm not doing the very thing that I think I am doing.
1: Exactly. And this
0: is hard. And I think that what I appreciate, well, I know what I appreciate about Beaky is like his willingness to go after this very thing. He is doing it in the realm of the pastorship what I'm saying is, and you're saying to the same thing, is this is for all of us. It's right. In fact, where all of us have a sphere of influence, especially in public opinion, with things like Twitter and the internet and Facebook, all the more so we should be required to do this kind of inventory. And I think it's important for us to do that. It's not a waste of time. It's not obvious. And in fact, this is a very difficult thing. Yeah. And so I think it is the mature Christian that takes some time to test and see whether or not they're in the faith. That's why Paul even levies that challenge. Yeah. And so... Beeky starts with saying things like, listen, if you want to walk closely with God, then one of the things you need to do is to have this meditation on the scriptures. That is the principal means of living close with God. Be diligent yeah. in reading the Bible. Be systematic in reading the Bible. And this, I'm going to quote Beeky here now, and I'm just going to say this straight out. This is mainly to support my own selfish use of a phrase, but I want to I draw this out. Beeky <laughs> says, in reflection of the scriptures, he says, we must ingest it, chew it, digest it, and assimilate it. End of quote. Oh, I feel like there's only one verb there that he's missing.
1: <laughs> it's like a summary verb of the whole process too.
0: Here's the thing. This is why you and I are the, the same person. We are brothers from another mother. <laughs> we are united in Christ. And that's because you you get me. You, yes. you, had, me at, you had me at metabolize. That's true. So the thing is, I love that what Beaky emphasizes here is, you want to walk closely with God? It's, the, it's always the simple things, isn't it? It's the putting on the mask. It's the reading the Bible. Right. It's being diligent to systematically study the scriptures. And he quotes Thomas Manton, who says, faith is lean and ready to starve unless it be fed with continual meditation on the promises. And so, this idea of, if you want to have good application if you want to make sure that the doctrine that you espouse with your mouth and with your fingers online is the same that you live, then you need to be continually in the scriptures. But then beyond that, meditating. Yeah. Like I said, we talked about being pickling, whatever you want to say, whatever metaphor you want to use, but like actually being changed and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. This is just insanely difficult to do. Not because it is necessarily difficult with respect to energy, but the discipline required is something that must come from the Holy Spirit. That's when we talk about like sanctification, not being a matter of like just work super hard per se. It's a matter of understanding that that, even the sanctification itself progressively comes through the efforts, the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We just cannot take credit for that. So I don't know if like everything, whether we're in this just like giant reinforcing Like tunnel of wind, or whether like everything that we talk about tends to end up in the same place. But this is another one of those things for me, at least.
1: Yeah, I'm about to get a little weird and maybe a little charismatic on
0: you. Yeah, yes, it's about time.
1: Let's do it. I have noticed, right? So there was a there was a period where I was listening. I think the most I ever had in my podcast feed was like 108 podcasts that I, and I was actively Whoa. listening to all of them at one time. I'm, I'm way down from there. Cause I used to have a job where like I could basically listen to podcasts and do my work at the same time. I'm way down from there. But what I noticed, uh, and I have a whole theological uh, like understanding that supports this. What I noticed is that there are themes and topics that sort of like flow through the podcast world Like all at the same time. And some of it can probably be explained with like people in the reform podcasting world, listen to other reform podcasts and, and then they come up with the similar topics or there's this issue that the whole world is dealing with. And all of a sudden the reform world is also picking up on that issue and addressing it. And because we have a common heritage, we address things the same way. But sometimes once in a while, what I noticed is that it seemed like all of a sudden at the same time with no obvious reason why. Like every podcast in the world and every sermon in the world that I was listening to seemed to be talking about the same thing, and and I mo- the first time I noticed it was like all of a sudden like we're Whitehorse Inn was doing a series on Hebrew and like seven different preachers I was listening to was doing a series on Hebrews and then all of a sudden like my pastor was preaching on Hebrews and I got to Hebrews in my reading plan. And, like, this sort of, like, nexus between between works and salvation and sanctification and monergism, this nexus is one of those things that I think is happening where, like, Because of what's going on in our world, in the Reformed world, but more so, I think, just because the Holy Spirit is doing something through the church. I mean, it seems like such an obvious thing to say that, like, the Holy Spirit guides his people to study and digest and and read and and talk about the things that he deems fit. Like, this is just something that our particular situation and our generation of Reformed Christians— really needs. And I don't know exactly why, but it seems like this issue has been so prominent in the last year between all the stuff going on with Mark Jones, John Piper, Scott Clark, like all of that, plus truly totally individual, like all these different things seem to be culminating that the, right. the Reformed world just needs this right now. So even things like, and, and here, here's the thing about this. This is just classic reformed theology. Like it's, there's sure. nothing, there's nothing unique about the, the need to pursue holiness, to, to devote oneself to doing what is right, what is good. Like that's just straight up reformed Pauline theology. There's nothing special about it. But the fact that our attention has been drawn to it, even in something like this book, which is ostensibly about a totally different subject, I think bears a bit of weight in saying like, this is, this is, who knew that you would be elevated to this podcast position for such a time as this, <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of <laughs> cheesy, but like there's something right. to it, I think.
0: Yeah, that's, actually really profound because I think that what... So here's my assessment of all this, is that what we need most right now is to have the right attitude in the way in which we approach these things. Because our culture is one of like complete virtue signaling. Yes. And most of the time, it's just an act. It's putting on airs. It's trying to appear one way, but not actually really being that way in the heart of all matters. And the unique thing about Christianity is there is no separation. They're all tightly coupled. They are one and the same. And so a lot of what I'm reading here, what we've been talking about is how do we get ourselves? And I use that like I was saying quotation marks, I get ourselves to a place where... We actually have a true intention that the purpose is from the inside out, completely pure. And the only way that happens is actually if the emphasis, the energy comes from a transcendent source as opposed from the inside out. So if we want, in other words, to wear the mask or to be holy because we love God, then the love of God must be implanted within our hearts from the outside by God himself. And so this is, I think, the thing that is like very, very difficult because one, all of human nature rebels against this very fact. And two, because what we're being preached at, what we're being told is that somehow you can make yourself better, that there are seven steps or 12 steps or 13 steps, some kind of way to check these things off a list, to make your life better, to live your best life now. And all of that is a lie. Yeah, And the lie is easy in the sense that it seems like I should be able to do it on my own, or if I just had the right data, or somebody could just articulate it in the right way. Instead, what Beeky is pointing us back to is the kind of piety, the kind of holy living that we're looking for comes with walking closely with God. But even this itself is a discipline. But it's a discipline unlike, let's say, exercise or study, where somehow— we manifest it by our own efforts. We create a schedule or we just work harder. Or we get up early in the morning. Yeah. It's none of that nonsense. We have to start by confessing before a holy God that we fall incredibly short and that the only way that we can come before Him in righteousness is because of the imputed work of Jesus Christ. And then I think as I try to do in my own life, we just plead that, that discipline of Jesus that goes, the, G, the Jesus that we see that goes away and prays in the early morning hours, the one that's devoted to the Father, that God himself would give that to us in some kind of measure. yeah. And that in doing that in receiving that, that is the thing that would propel us forward. So I, I'm with you. I think that the greatest thing like our generation could bring to this ongoing journey of Reformed theology is to continue to emphasize that we'd have a purity of intent yeah, and that that intent would be connected to God himself, that we're no longer just signaling that I'm a good Christian. I'm a good person. I understand the confessions. I understand theology, but that we would be always in every way saying all knowledge is outside myself and anything that I have is because God has given it to me. And so I I love that like Beaky doesn't shy away from that stuff. Like the other thing I would say is that, this reminds me that like, I don't know, this is going to get weird because I don't know how to really articulate this. This is a totally candid moment. I sense that sometimes we think Christians, we need to say the right things. We need to pray the right way. We need to, it's not even that we're putting on airs, but it's that Christianity is somehow a culture and an image and a brand. Yeah. And I don't know how yes. we get to the point where Christianity is not, is it's not a soft thing. Yeah. This is like the real thing. It's 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 like... You know where I'm going with that? Like, I, I honestly totally like the words.
1: Yeah. I, I actually think that this presents itself in a negative fashion. I, I'm just going to close my copy of this book. Cause we're far afield at this point. <laughs> I, I actually think that this presents itself in a negative fashion, much more than it does in a positive fashion. But I think it demonstrates the point is yes. there is a particular kind of reformed Christianity that has this brand image to present and that brand image. And, and I'm really hesitant to even get into this, but I'm going to Right? Everybody knows about this dust up and this conflict on the online right now between Amy bird and kind of her camp and what's called Geneva commons, which is this, this Facebook group that I will be absolutely utterly transparent that the Geneva commons is a disgusting vile burning trash heap full of garbage that needs to just be shut down and erased and blotted out of, out of memory, right? Throw that in the sea of forgetfulness, get it out of here. Like but that said, the brand of Christianity, the brand of reformed theology that is portrayed by m- many, I won't say most and definitely not all, but many of the people who are behind the, the Geneva Commons is this brand of Christianity that that amounts to nothing. I shouldn't say nothing. Little more than I'm bigger and stronger and more apt at the scriptures than you. So submit to what I have to say. Rah right. rah! Flex my muscles. This is Reformed Christianity, right? It's a. It, we were talking in in church today. Pastor Pastor Dad preached on <laughs> Titus, and and you know. Our father is a very uh, gentle person. Like he just yes. is. It's just in his temperament. He's very gentle, even when he's correcting you. I mean, I've never seen him yell. I'm sure you have, but like I've never seen him yell, even when he's extremely upset at something. I've just never seen him breach that. And that is what Titus is talking about when he says, strongly rebuke those who are teaching false things. He's not talking about. Pounding them into submission. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes theologically you have to do battle. We've talked about that before. Like sometimes you have to get, be ready to get a little bit of blood on your sword. Like that's how serious it is. But more often than not, that is not what God calls us to do. He calls us to do the gentle correction over years and years and years of laboring with someone in love. That's what he calls us to do. And right. so there's there's a certain group of, of quote unquote reformed people who uh, who present themselves as this sort of like force to be reckoned with. It's all about dominance and beating someone down. And that's the brand of Christianity that they're trying to promote right jude says contend for the faith so that means we have to punch everyone in the face with our brains as much as we can until they listen to what we have to say and i think i think that there's also a converse brand that i don't have as much experience with because it's just not as common in the reformed world you might think of someone like maybe like a tim keller who, who presents us a little bit more where it's all about like lovey-dovey gentleness and feelings and there's some reality in the middle that's no longer about a brand it's about really contending for the truth Yes, and contending yes. for what is right, contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, and contending in a way that is commensurate to the situation, right? If I'm face to face with Wayne Grudem, you know, we're at a conference and I run into him and he says, "I heard your I heard your podcast one time. You were really mean to me." I'm gonna say, "Let me buy you." Well, you're a Baptist. You're, you're, a, you're, you're Wayne Grudem's probably not gonna want a beer. Let me buy you a lemonade and I'll have a beer and let's just sit and talk about this. <laughs> Because you're a person made in the image of God and and I, I have no reason to doubt that you love Jesus, but you're really wrong. Like dangerously wrong right So let me let me let me take the step towards you and buy you something that you enjoy and let's sit and talk this out. right If I run into somebody who's who's adamant in their error, who's adamant and aggressive in their air, I'm going to take a totally different stance. If I run into uh, Todd White at, you know, at the 7-Eleven and he says, oh man, I heard your podcast when you talked about Charismania. I'd just really love to sit down and talk with you. I'm going to say no. Because John says, I don't even allow a false teacher into my house. I don't dine with a false teacher. So if you want to talk, then let's get on, let's, let's, let's get some witnesses. Let's make sure that this is on the up and up and let's talk, but it's not going to be a pleasant conversation. There's an appropriateness that needs to happen. And that has to transcend whatever tribal brand we're trying to apply to ourselves. And that's where I think a lot of Christians get it wrong.
0: Yeah. I think you're right about that. And even what you're talking about by way of your examples are like specific examples, you know, like, I, part of me wants to ask, like, in your mind, is Todd White getting a big gulp at Seven Eleven? Like, what is the situation? Do you find him? Is he getting like a Slurpee?
1: Yeah, I think he's probably getting a slur, probably a Slim Jim too. I feel like, yeah, one of those, like, one of those, like, gas station burritos that you're not sure how long it's been there. And you might, it's either going to be the most delicious thing you've ever had or, or you're going to die, but you're not quite sure. And you don't really care. I
0: thought you were going to be like fake theology, fake meat.
1: I feel like I could probably (laughs) convince Wayne Grudem to get rid of EFS if I bought him one of these Kentucky bourbon barrel beers, (laughs) maybe two or three of them would do it. But yeah,
0: you, you probably could. I like to think that even though this again, once again, this conversation took like an unexpected course that we're kind of honoring the essence of this chapter, right? Which is this is the application of theology. And it's one of those things where it requires all of us, I think sometimes in the privateness of our own prayer closet, to be continually laboring like, day after day in the scriptures and in prayer with God so that in the public arena or in the private conversation with others, we can actually bring to bear all the things that we allegedly think that we know, but in a way that honors God because of the complexity of relationships. And so I just feel like you're right because there is like a brand of Christianity that often sometimes is virtue signaling. I think right. it's a fair question for us in any interaction to ask what am I gaining from this? Am I virtue signaling here? Yeah. Or am I really trying to honor the full scope of the gospel message, which is inherently more complicated to apply because people are complicated? Yeah. It's just not always that easy. So I hope that we're, I think we really are honoring what Dr. Beaky is getting after here.
1: Right. Well, here's a real practical application of this, like reformed brandism, right, is it's a very typical reformed guy thing to do to to grow a beard right now. Like it, it's just Sure. It's popular, it's kinda of funny, like it, it's just the way it is like everybody's got that Augustine quote or the, the Spurgeon quote, whoever it is, that says like growing a beard is a proper and godly discipline. Like, okay, yes. whatever. But like there are cultures and context in the world where a man with a beard says something that we as Christians don't want to say. Right? And sure. there are any number of things that the reformed typically do that we wouldn't want to communicate to, to certain people in the world based on what it means in their culture. And so if we're going to hold on to that, that reformed brand, and I've, I've heard people make the argument that beards are a natural good and thus to shave your beard is a violation of natural law and therefore is a sin right regardless of the culture regardless of the context that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my life and i said that right. to them at the time because there there are definitely times where we might go into a culture where wearing a beard is a cultural thing that says something we don't want it to say right i i, I actually, like right now off the top of my head i can't think of one because i just don't No, But like a good example is I used to work for the Geek Squad and we had a very distinct branded image, right? Everything in the Geek Squad was about the brand. Like we wore a particular style of white shirt with a clip-on tie because that's what the astronaut, that's what the men in the control room in NASA in like the 50s and 60s wore. We wanted to look like that. We carried badges because we wanted to position ourselves in this kind of gimmicky like secret agent, special agent thing, right? There's all these brand images. But then Geek Squad expanded into Mexico and all of a sudden we had to think about, well, if, if we wear our badge in Mexico, are people going to think that we're police and not want to talk to us? Are people going to think that we're police? Are they going to attack us? Right. We, we, we wear these clip on ties because like, actually there was some live discussion in Utah because the, the geek squad uniform looks remarkably like what Morons wear when they go yes. out doing their door to door missionary work. It does. And so there was live discussion of like, maybe we shouldn't wear the same uniform when we go into Utah when we expanded in Utah, because we don't want to present ourselves as part of this religious group. Like all, all statements of what that religious group believes aside, like we don't want people as we're going through the neighborhood to think that it's a Mormon coming up to the door to evangelize to them. So like, that's the idea that I think we need to get to is like, there's a, there's an, and ironically, I didn't mean to do this. There's a core of that, that actually, that's what's the problem with Amy Bird's theology in this right? Is there's a core truth to the fact that some, some things are culturally brand significance. Things are brand images in certain cultures and, and there's a truth to that, but there are also some things that are really are baked into the reality of what it means to be a Christian that we can't sacrifice. So we have to navigate that carefully. And you know, we're not going to get to the rest of the chapter, but like he talks about like the pastor or the preacher needs to study books. He needs to study people. He needs to pray hard. All of that ties into this, right? If you don't understand the people you're ministering to, if you don't understand the sort of target of your apologetic or the target of your polemic, if you don't understand them and where they're at and what, what would be effective to reach them or to refute them, like you're failing at your task. So I just think you're you're spot on with this sort of like uneasiness with like branded Christianity.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the other points. I hope people again were, that are tracking with us will go into the text and read this chapter in its fullness. I think what unites all of those additional points, the studying books, the studying people, the focus on prayer, is this idea, and this is my challenge to myself and everybody else, is it's easy for us, or relatively easy for us, because Reformed people in general have a penchant for wanting to study, to understand complex topics, to be cerebrally stimulated, and then to be rejoicing in the amazing things that they're learning. The question is, how much or to what extent are those truths also connected with an appropriate emotional response that is heartfelt.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So that the attitude is completely coupled with this truth that generates or is in the genesis of the mind. Yeah. That's the hard thing because it's just too easy. It's far too easy. To think because you understand something or something is really interesting or even enlightening or illustrative, that somehow that means it has also made its way down into the way in which you experience compassion, in the way in which you obey God, the way in which you understand or the intent you bring to action. I think what Beaky's challenge here is to say, listen, it's possible that what you think has actually not appropriately influenced what you feel and yeah. do not start to preach to somebody just with what you think without having had that impact how you feel yeah and, and i think that's that's like the the major the major truth that he's after here and he unpacks that of course in like the wonderful dr b way that i can't even begin yeah. to reiterate so you should of course like if we haven't said it enough if you have not yet picked up Reform Preaching, what are you waiting for? Yeah, just go exactly. get that book and start reading.
1: Yeah, just pick it up. Amazon.com. It's easy to find. <laughs> yeah, just you pick can't, it up. You can't leave your house right now, anyways, so you should have a little bit of extra reading time.
0: <laughs> that's that's true. Well, let me. Can I end on like a kind of an unconventional way? Is that okay with you? No,
1: you have to okay. end exactly conventionally the way. Never we always do. Never <laughs> mind.
0: So, well, then I'm just going totally rogue in every sense of the word. So one of the things maybe I should have like, maybe this should be an affirmation from another episode, but it's time sensitive. Yes. It's super time sensitive. In fact, actually, now that I think about it, what day will this episode be released on?
1: Wednesday the 1st, th- th- uh, I believe.
0: Oh my word. Okay. There's still time. Are you ready? You, you probably already know about this. I think this went around like our family chat, but this is why I need to say this right now. I can't wait any longer is... Panera Bread has this deal. Are you familiar with this? I'm not. Okay. So uh, this is why we're making everybody's lives better. I have to say this right now. It cannot wait. It's kind of affirmation, but it's mainly like, just do this thing. So P-Pamera, Panera Bread has this deal where apparently they have this like thing you can sign up for normally. It's a, it's a coffee program where you pay like, $9 a month, you get unlimited coffee. Anyway, you sign up for this. And during the summer months, if you sign up for it before July 4th, you have to do it before July 4th. You get free coffee from July 4th, unlimited free coffee from July 4th to September 7th. And then if you cancel before September 7th, you will not be charged. So you can get free premium coffee, as much coffee as you want at any Panera Bread by signing up. Obviously, they, want, they hope that you're going to keep this going into the months beyond that. But free premium coffee over the summer months, Panera Bread.
1: So... I'm very confused. So <laughs> normally, you can buy you pay nine ninety nine, and you get free coffee for a
0: year, right? You, no, it's it's per month nine ninety nine oh, a month. Okay. And you get unlimited coffee as much as you want.
1: Oh, so it's like one hundred and twenty dollars a year. Yes, or uh, one thousand one hundred and uh, whatever. Yeah, anyways,
0: I'm I'm with you. I understand. Yeah, what yeah. You're okay. Yes. So it's so, not
1: that great of a deal normally but now it's an excellent deal because unless
0: unless you drink like a ton of coffee or like you're maybe you're a starbucks person and you i mean five dollars a pop for a cup of coffee depending on how premium you make it yeah i don't know so but all this they're doing this promotion where it's just for the summer months but you have to sign up before july 4th so i just want to throw that in there in this is us loving our neighbor is (laughs) (laughs) apparently not panera
1: because we're teaching you how to not give them any money, but still take
0: all their coffee. Well, here's the thing: they know this, right? Oh, no, it's they legit. Said it.
1: Oh yeah, they totally have calculated exactly how many people are going to forget. Exactly, they know exactly what's going to happen. They, oh yeah, this exactly. is like the, this is like uh, Columbia House CD sales all over again.
0: <laughs> Man, we uh, this episode kind of busted out. What are those like mid '90s references between I know. like? Well, actually, I would say burlap to cashmere is more like turn of the century. I don't know. How old are you? Turn of the century? Well, I mean, like, that's 2001? one, two thousand. No, no, uh, I think I, I was
1: still in high school, so it's got to be earlier than that.
0: Oh, man. Now you're just making me feel old. I think it's more... I, I have no idea. I'm looking it up. Put like two albums, one album. I'm just stalling until like we actually get to that. But there are some people that are like when you said like basic instructions, heard all of like the the Congo drums and stuff and we're just like, "Man, I got to go back and listen to that."
1: I can't actually find anything about the song, but I am finding all sorts of books called Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. <laughs> this one looks like it's about the rapture.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, even even better. I actually did see them in concert once. And I mean, they're super talented group. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. You know what I can never figure out is how it is humanly possible that they strum as fast as they do.
0: (laughs) Yes, it is very, it is very impressive. It is very impressive. But here's the thing. Ever since like you shared your, your whole story on this podcast about how you met Michael Tate and how you guys are boys now (laughs) and you just, you just hang out and you text each other. I just feel like there's, I can't, there's nothing I can do to like top that. There's, there's no great story.
1: Yeah. I haven't, I have an outsized number of stories of meeting contemporary <laughs> Christian artists. Really? Uh, yeah. Like, I snuck backstage at a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert, and it wasn't even that hard. We just walked back there. Nobody (laughs) even stopped us. One one guy who was a security guy was like, hey, you guys aren't supposed to make me. And we literally went, oh, no, it's fine. We're with the band. And we just walked into his dressing room. Uh, I saw Michael Tate at the airport. I saw Kevin Smith or Kevin Max, Kevin Max Smith, whatever his name is, at a subway. Uh, He was doing a (laughs) signing. I didn't even know he was doing a signing. I just recognized him. Uh, There's a Christian band called Clear. That I, I, the keyboard player, the keyboard player was a keyboard player that came to my church and did keyboards for the worship team. So I ended up meeting clear. Um, who else have I met? I met Jennifer Knapp. I met Derek Webb. I had that fight with Derek Webb on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I I don't even like music that much. And I've got these outsized number of stories.
0: Oh my gosh. I have a friend who, I
1: have a friend who proposed to, uh, Jackie Velasquez at Sun at Sunshine Music Festival once. That was fun. (laughs) So yeah, that's I think
0: that's yeah. I don't know. See, we should have done a whole episode just in that where we unpack all your stories. I need
1: to meet Toby Mac because then I got the trifecta going on.
0: Yeah. So here's. So let me just say this quick. Uh, First of all, the anybody out there album by Burlap the cashmere released January 1st, 1998. Yeah. So I was a little bit off there. It was
1: a little bit earlier than I thought. That was 22 days before I came to faith. True story. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Jars That's, of clay was at the concert that I was at when I came to faith. <laughs> I did not meet jars of clay. That would have been pretty epic.
0: Well, here's some of the things I love about all like your artist stories is especially the, the Kevin Smith one is like, um, I just walked into a subway and there he was like, none of this stuff is like ordained, like yeah. ordained in the sense that you tr- purposely tried to be there or to see them. You just keep showing up in places <laughs> where members of DC talk it's, happen to be.
1: It's kind of like Pokemon. Like they just, it's like a wild Kevin Smith appears. And I need someone to help me. If you know, if you have access to Toby Mac, I got to catch them all. <laughs> I really have to get you to connect to me with him so I can, I can like finish this collection.
0: Oh, that's so great. Here's the challenge. I'm just going to lay it out there because we've been dancing around it. We need to say it finally. Somebody get us Toby Mac on this podcast. I would love to talk to Toby Mac. Yeah. On and the and if Brotherhood. he is
1: ever anywhere within like, two mi- or like, like 200 miles of, 200 miles probably is a bit much because he probably goes <laughs> to Boston as well. Anywhere within 50 miles of Canaan, New Hampshire, I need to know about it because I, I need to figure out how to make this happen.
0: Well, what's so funny is, was it just in the last episode? I think it was. We were talking about freedom. And by the way, we have that like freedom to believe part two part coming up. Yes. Yes. The, the sequel, if you will. I think it was just in that last episode where I quoted from his song where he said, break the will of this born defector. So yeah. if only because we can get him on, I can ask him about that lyric and be like, come on, brother. I think we can just let this be the place where you say, I'm totally reformed. The music says it. The lyrics affirm it. We know you believe it. It's what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Just come on out and say, this can be the place where you declare that for, for sure. We need to get him on. Somebody has a connection somewhere. Somebody's like, oh, he, like he goes to my sister's hairdresser. Somebody has a connection.
1: Somebody does. There's got to be somebody who knows how to get a hold of Toby Mac.
0: Yes. Well, I feel really good. I always feel really good about this time of every episode because I think, man, god has done something that i could not have even conceived of if only because he's drawn a line through all these amazing esoteric conversations or topics but we went from we've got dr beaky in this episode and toby mack i know So i feel like you know and samuel miller and samuel miller and,
1: and amy bird there's lots of people lots of varied individuals
0: this is why we can't even tag our episodes because nobody would believe the tags. No,
1: and Facebook would break. We'd be tagging too many people. <laughs> Facebook would break,
0: as if like Mark Zuckerberg were like, "Listen, we want to do this, but this Reformed Brotherhood podcast totally shut I us know. down." I
1: know they tagged seven people. It's way too much.
0: Yes. By the way, the anybody out there album by Burlap the Cashmere looks like it has four. It has four point four stars out of five. I, I assume that there are three stars just by the, from the speed of strumming. Yeah. So maybe we can... There's 12? There are 12 tracks on this album.
1: Why are you surprised at that? That seems that's pretty average. Of, that's a
0: lot of tracks. No, that's a lot of tracks. And I forgot that one of the songs is named Chop Chop. I would
1: just like to say that the cover of this album, if you look at it, looks like some uh, like 22-year-old white girl in Uggs who just got her pumpkin spice latte <laughs> made it what? on Instagram. You'll see it. You'll see it when you look at it.
0: No, no. I'm looking. Isn't it to the Brooklyn Bridge?
1: Yeah, but it, it's all like out of focus. It's got like the white text in the middle. It's like a meme. Like That's it's true. way before its time. It looks like it's look like it looks like underneath it. It should be like just visiting New York. Hashtag blessed. That's what it should say.
0: Okay. Last question. I'm sure we've gone on long <laughs> enough. I have no idea like what even. T- we, we're, we're just going to do
1: another episode now.
0: It's starting right now. Welcome to episode 194. <laughs> yes. So let me ask you, this is just a fun question. I'm on amazon.com. I'm looking at the album. I looked at the most recent reviews. So, and these are reviews oh, that actually have comments associated with them. When would you say the most recent review for this album that was re- re- released in 1998? You have a guess on I the most like recent I feel like the way you're comment? asking
1: me the question, it's got to be recently, like pretty recently. <laughs> like, was it today? <laughs>
0: no, it wasn't. Oh. It was close enough. It's about a year ago. It was July 13th, 2019. And the comment just says, liked everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Which I want to just go on a limb and say, When people hear this episode, that's exactly the same thing they'll say. Yes.
1: Liked everything about it. (laughs) They liked everything about it.
0: In that spirit, Tony, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. (laughs)